Ultimate Outcome Sermon Podcast. Here's Richard Elwell with today's sermon. So uh, this morning I wanted to begin by just uh, asking the question, you know, what exactly causes us to be grateful? Uh, gratitude is such a health-provoking uh, state to be in. It is, it, it's such an invigorating state to be in. But what is it that uh, causes us to be grateful? You know, if I say thank you to somebody and that person says, oh, it was nothing. You know, you say, you've heard that. I mean, you've said that and you know what it is. What is the person, what exactly is the person trying to communicate when they say it, it is nothing? Uh, aren't they really saying that my sacrifice to you wasn't of that great of a magnitude that you really need to be all that thankful for it? Uh, aren't they saying, you know, um, what you're grateful for wasn't all that much. What causes gratitude is our perception that someone else has sacrificed something of value on our behalf. Isn't that what causes gratitude? When we look and think and see that somebody has sacrificed for us on our behalf, given us something of value or given us something that uh, caused them to have to... Uh, work in some kind of way or endure some kind of suffering. Now, if we are blind, if we if we can't see, if we're unable to see a sacrifice that somebody has done for us, we are not going to be grateful. If a person has done something for us and we're not aware of it or we can't see it, then obviously gratitude is not going to be the result. With each generation, you know, children tend to take for granted the sacrifice of their parents. Now, there's some justice in that because we did the same thing when we were young. But uh, I was struck a couple years ago when I read a teenager's rant against her parents on my on her MySpace page. Be careful what you put on your MySpace page, especially if anyone can get to it. Uh, you know, as I was reading this vitriolic rant against her parents, I envisioned this girl in her bedroom uh, that, of course, was provided by the labor of her father. I envisioned her sitting in front of her computer uh, next to her warm bed, and on her desk I envisioned a plate of... Uh, uh, food, maybe a fresh sandwich and a nice cold drink sitting there. I envisioned a closet full of nice clothes, all provided by the sacrifice of her parents as she was on her computer composing uh, her complaints about how evil her controlling parents were for trying to stop her from dating a drug addict, stay-up-all-night boyfriend. The girl was blind to the sacrifice her parents were making. She was blind to the fact that her parents were doing what they were doing because they wanted to provide for her and to protect her, not because they wanted to restrain her from having fun. Their perspective of her boyfriend was completely different than hers. And because of that, they, were, they weren't entering into this conflict because they loved being in conflict with her. 
they were even the conflict was a further sacrifice for them because they wanted to protect their daughter. And I thought this was analogous to humanity's reaction to God. As though God is somehow trying to keep us from enjoying life by providing and protecting us. Providing for us and protecting us. Today as we continue in our series, it is written, uh, a series in which we look at Jesus' quotes of the Old Testament. We're going to try to look at the sacrifice God has made for us from His perspective. We're going to, as His children, try to look at what He has given, the magnitude of what He has given to us from God's perspective, from Christ's perspective. And we do that with the hope that seeing God's sacrifice for us will engender a gratitude in us that will just be a wellspring of health to our spirit. It will increase our gratitude of Him. Being grateful is one of the keys to enjoying life. And if we're blind to the sacrifice that God has made for us, or for anyone else for that matter, has made for us, gratitude is impossible. Without seeing what is given, we have no capacity to be grateful. And a great deal can be given, but if we don't see it, gratitude is blocked. Um, without gratitude, life is dark and dreary. Do we want the health-provoking blessing of being grateful to saturate our souls? If so, let's take a hard and even painful look at God's sacrifice on our behalf and seek to open the wellspring of gratitude for our soul? Are we willing to look at the magnitude of Christ's suffering on behalf of humanity? This morning's message is entitled, The Sacrifice. And we're going to be looking at a passage in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, in which he quotes Zechariah 13.7. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you this morning, and Father, it's just riveting to think of what Christ saw ahead of time. Father, it, to, to, to realize what he was looking at and the situation he was facing, and yet he continued to walk into suffering for us. Lord, we just pray that you'd bless the reading of your word this morning and that by and through it, Lord, we might be grateful to you for all that you have done for us, especially for the cross and the empty tomb. We pray, Father, that you would bless the reading of your word this morning and that we might be lifted by it. Even though this is a difficult subject to look at, Lord, Father, we pray that it would be one that creates liberty in our lives and gratitude in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 14, verse 27 says this. <clears throat> now here he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to them right after uh, he has washed their feet. This is the, these are the last words that he has spoken uh, at the Last Supper. And he says to them uh, these things. He says, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And in this passage, these last words of the Lord's Supper, right after he's washed the disciples' feet, 
he is quoting from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. And let me show you what it says there. Zechariah in this section of Scripture is just filled with all kinds of messianic uh, visions of the future. And, and here we have uh, this verse that Christ is quoting from. And it says this, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now, here we have a situation where, in quoting Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, we can see that Christ is fully and completely aware of the lonely and devastating suffering and sacrifice that he's about to undertake. He was fully aware of the suffering that he was called to, and he was fully aware of the total lack of support that he was going to get in in and through this suffering that he was entering into and having to endure. He knew the burden that he was about to shoulder, and he knew that he was going to shoulder it alone on our behalf. The theme this morning is this. Jesus viewed himself as God's servant of suffering. Jesus viewed himself as God's servant of suffering. He saw that that's what his calling was. Let's take a look at Zechariah 13.7 again. It says here, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now, think about this for a second. Jesus... Uh, just think about what Jesus was saying in this passage here, or, or thinking about as he was quoting this passage. It, it reveals he had the foreknowledge of what was about to happen to him, and he uses this passage to describe to his disciples about what's about ready to happen. And think about this for a second. The first thing he says is, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Now, what is this sleeping sword? It, 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 image here is of a sword that has been sleeping, that has been at rest, that gets awakened. It's a, a awakened sword. Now, what is that? What is this sleeping sword that has become awake? Well, it's the sword of God's justice. To every man who have su- has suffered oppression from human evil and wondered and wondered and wondered, how long, O oh Lord, will you tolerate Human evil. How long, in other words, will your sword be asleep? How long will your sword of justice sleep? How long will you just let evil go unrequited? Well, the answer is here that the sword awakes. The sword awakes. The sword of God's justice awakes. This verse speaks of the sword of justice being awakened at God's command. But what happens next is almost unbearable when you really start to think about it. The sword of justice is awakened, and it's lifted in the hand of God. It's lifted up in the hand of God, and, and, and instead of striking wicked humanity, God intentionally drops the sword of justice in a swift death blow on his shepherd. What's described here is his shepherd. 
And the shepherd here is described as against the man who is close to me. Now in Hebrew here, the idea of being close is that of a near relative or a kinship or somebody of the same nature or relation. So the picture here is that the, the, the sword has been awakened. And instead of striking against corrupt humanity, this sword of justice is, is intentionally in the hand of God struck against God's own kin, his son. The Lord Almighty here is claiming unity, a shared nature with this shepherd, the good shepherd, that he's wielding the sword of justice against. And as the result, the shepherd becomes the object of God's wrath. And the sheep are offended at what happens to the shepherd, and they're scattered, and they abandon him. Now, Jesus knew and accepted his calling of suffering for us. He accepted his destiny of suffering. This is, when you realize what Jesus was quoting here, let me go back to uh, verse 27 of Matthew, I mean Mark 14, and, and we break it down this way. This is what Jesus was saying in that quote. I, God the Father, when it says I, that means God the Father. It's God the Father who I is referring to, will strike, that is put to death, the shepherd, my beloved son Jesus, and the sheep, the disciples will be scattered, leaving the shepherd all alone in distress. That's what Jesus is saying to them. Can we see Jesus as he went into the Garden of Gethsemane? There he enters into the Garden of Gethsemane, and I think probably his greatest suffering was right there in the Garden. It, it, it was a... Uh, a suffering that he was in a sorrow that he likens unto being in near death. He was sweating blood and he was, he was praying to God, Oh God, I, if there's any other way than to me to take this cup of your wrath and to drink it, may it be changed. May you do something to change it, but not my will, but your will. I will accept this calling to be the shepherd that takes the blow of your justice against me instead of humanity. And think about this. While he's in that garden, all he wants from his disciples is to just watch for a little while. Just watch just for a little while so I can pray without having to be worried about being interrupted. <clears throat> and they couldn't do that. They fell asleep. wishing that there was some other way. Jesus was wishing that there was some other way. Yet, nevertheless, he was willing to go with God's plan to set us free from sin and death. And that plan was for Jesus to substitute himself in our place to receive God's wrath on our behalf. There is only one illustration that even begins to approach the suffering of this moment. What is the hardest story to read in the Old Testament? For you, what is the hardest story to read in the Old Testament? Think about it for a second. Any, anybody? Uh, Abraham and Isaac. That, for me, I can hardly get through that thing. I am so glad 
when the angel stops Abraham. So glad, you know. And here, here we have, uh, you know, this picture here. I don't know how well you can see it, but it's a picture of, of the knife being raised. He's about to sacrifice his son. God had asked Abraham, the father of our faith, the one who had been so faithful over all these years to trust God, and, and finally God gives him the son of his promise through the barren womb of his wife. The son grows and he's about ready at the stage where, where the promise could be realized. The young man would be ready for marriage and to have children and, and the promise was about to go forth. And what does God do? He says, Abraham, go take your son Isaac. Take him up and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham says, whatever you say, boss. So amazing. I, so amazing. It's so amazing. It's one of those things, if, if, if I were going to ask myself, could I do this? The answer would be no. I, 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 Abraham is so amazing. He's the father of our faith. He, he's just going to believe God no matter what. And he's going to obey him no matter what. It makes no sense to him. You've promised me, God. You've fulfilled this promise. It's been all these years, and now you're going to take it away. And of course, we know the story. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son to God, and God stopped him at the last moment and says, okay, I actually know you would have gone through with it. And because you are faithful to the very end, I promise that through your heritage, all nations will be blessed. You know, I can't help but think to myself, was it because one man was willing to sacrifice his son for God that God became willing to sacrifice his son for all humanity? didn't really say that in the Bible, but I can't help but think that Abraham, this one man, probably the only man that ever lived that would have done this. Uh, maybe there would have been a few others, I don't know, but I wouldn't have been in that line. Uh I just can't imagine the level of faith that Abraham had to to not try to rationalize his way out of that command. Now, we rationalize our way out of a lot of things, but this one, I think you could figure out a lot of rationalizations not to obey God here. But he didn't. He did it. And I can't help but think that because this one man was willing to sacrifice his son for God at his command without any questions, that God became willing to sacrifice his son for all humanity. Since God became a willing, since Christ became a willing sacrifice for us, what should our response be? When we see what God has done, that God actually went through with this, that He raised the sword against His own Son, and He didn't stop Himself. He raised the sword of justice against Christ, and Christ knew it. Christ was on the altar, and He knew what He had been called to. And neither one of them turned back. When we, when we glimpse into the magnitude of the sacrifice that was given to us, you know, we ought to be grateful. It reminded me of a story I, I heard about, um, of a Chinese couple. In the early 80s, there was an American uh, missionary that was smuggling Bibles into China named Eric Feldman. And he tells this story of meeting this uh, newlywed couple in their 60s in Hong Kong. This couple had just gotten married. And the thing that was unique about this 60-year-old couple who had just gotten married is they had been engaged for 30 years. 
right before they were going to get married 30 years prior, the man was arrested in mainland China for being a Christian. And he was sent to prison. And they had one day each year that was a visiting day. And his fiance would come every year during that visiting day and would visit. And at the end of the visit each year, the warden of the prison would come up and tell the man, if you renounce Christ, you can go home and marry your wife. And he said no. Year after year, he said no. Every year for 30 years, he said no. And when the missionary asked him why, his response was, how could he, considering what Christ had done for him, ever betray Christ? He had a full grasp of the magnitude of what Christ had done for him. He had to have had a full grasp of that. And when he measured his sacrifice against what Christ had done for him, he saw it as nothing. He saw it as just the natural uh, consequence of uh, acknowledging and being grateful for what Christ had done for him. With all Jesus had done for me, he said, how could I betray him? His gratitude was born out of a complete understanding of Christ's sacrifice for him. And I would just challenge us this morning, how complete is our understanding of Christ's sacrifice? How much do we see, the, how much can we see of the magnitude of Christ's suffering? You know, we, uh, what I'd love to, the image I have in my mind is if we came up to, you know, to a dark curtain and there's a pinhole in the curtain, we look through that pinhole and we saw the majesty of God and the wonder of His love. If we're, if we're on behind that curtain and we can't see it, we're not grateful. But if we just peek through the pinhole and see the, all of what's out there in terms of His love and His sacrifice for us, gratitude floods our hearts. Again, the theme this morning is Jesus viewed Himself as God's servant of suffering. Number one, uh, point number one is Jesus suffered alone. Let's take a look at, at verses 7, uh, 27 through 41 uh, in Matthew chapter, uh, Mark, Mark chapter uh, 14, a continuation of uh, what we've already read. Beginning at verse 27, it says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. 
stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, again he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 27, he says this, You will all fall away. You will all fall away. And that falling away, that word falling away, literally means to be offended. In other words, Christ was saying, you're all going to be offended by me. I am going to be repulsive to you. You are all going to leave and offended at, at, at what is happening to me. That you are going to reject me in my rejection. And, of course, they all insisted, never, never, never. We'll never do that. Yet in the garden, they couldn't even stay awake when he asked them to watch while he, you know, he was praying. They couldn't even do that for him. You know, it's 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 um, it's something. It's hard to be alone, isn't it? But Christ stood alone. It's hard to sacrifice alone. When we when we say uh, when people say, you know, we want an, an expression of support for our troops, what we're saying is we want them to have a sense in their sacrifice and in their hardships and in their struggling for us that 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 there's support for them, that we're. Um, that we're not just discounting them. There's moral support because it's hard to stand alone. It's hard. It would be hard for them to stand alone. They they do better with our support and appreciation. But Christ didn't have any of that, and he knew he wasn't going to have any of that. His sacrifice was so monumental, and it was made all alone, all alone. He was all alone. Since he stood alone for us, what about us in our standing alone for him? You know, there's a website that's, uh, that's uh, standalone.com. And it's a website to encourage teenagers to be willing to stand alone for Christ. To stand alone in the face of the opposition of their peers and their friends because Christ has stood alone for us. Now, are we willing to stand alone if necessary for him? He who stood alone for us. Are we willing to resist the crowd and stand for the one who stood alone for us? Again, the theme this morning is Jesus uh, viewed himself as God's servant of suffering. And point number one is Jesus suffered alone. Point number two, in victory, Jesus gathers us to himself. Look at verse 28. Think about this for a second. 
Christ has all of this in his mind. He has the knowledge of his suffering. He has the knowledge of of their rejection of him. He has the knowledge that they'll even be repulsed by him. And he says this to them in verse 28. He says this, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. In other words, I'm going to gather you back again. Think about what that means there. He's saying he's not going to disown us even if we've disowned him. When Jesus conquered sin and death through the cross and the empty tomb all alone, he came to share his victory with those who scattered. He came to share his victory with those who were disgusted at him uh, when the battle began. They rejected the rejected Christ, and in victory he seeks them out to share his victory with them. What does that say about Jesus? It's a pretty amazing thing. Uh, the nature of Christ is unbelievable. No vitriol, no resentment, no spirit of retaliation. He came to share his victory with those who had rejected him. Now, it isn't, it isn't anywhere near proportionate, but, you know, it's similar to how America responded to her enemies after World War II. What did we do with Japan? We rebuilt her, the country that attacked us. What did we do with Germany? We had the Marshall Plan and we rebuilt Germany. We could have left both of those countries uh, in a long, much longer struggle for, for, uh, for, uh, re- you know, recovery, but we didn't. And, uh, I think that it must be a little bit of Christ's influence in the American psyche that um, caused us to treat our enemies that way. Because that's the way Jesus is. That's the nature of Christ. No spirit of resentment to those who slighted or wronged him. Only a desire to share in the victory that he had won for all humanity. The victory that he won against pride and its consequences. Seeing what degree of sacrifice Christ has endured for us can be measured by one thing. We want to know how well we see the magnitude of Christ's sacrifice for us. We can measure it by one thing, how grateful we are to him. If we see it, gratitude is the natural consequence. If we don't, we won't be grateful. The level of our gratitude is a measure of our awareness of his sacrifice. My hope today is that we've peered a little more deeply into the magnitude of the suffering of Christ, the willing suffering of Christ, the volitional suffering of Christ on our behalf. And with that, we will be more able to drink the refreshing spring of humble gratitude that flows from the base of the cross and is so edifying to us. Again, Jesus viewed himself as God's servant of suffering. Point number one was Jesus suffered alone. And point number two is in victory, Jesus gathers us to himself. This morning I'd like to conclude by reading from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 6, 3 through 6. Beginning at verse 3, it says this, For seeing Christ, it says, He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequities of us all. The punishment, look at this, the punishment, the punishment, the suffering of Christ. What did the punishment do? It brought us peace. It brought us peace. It reconciled us to God It because the sword of God's wrath was diverted from us onto him. The punishment that was afflicted upon him brought us peace with God, brought us peace in our soul. The, the punishment that brought us peace, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, not on us. By his wounds we are healed. Let's all just stand together. I just would like to uh, open the altar this morning if you want to make a special um, expression of gratitude to God and just bow down before Him and say thank you to Him at the altar this morning. Feel free if if you don't want to. Don't I mean you know obviously it's a, it would be something that you, it would be open if you really want to do that. And uh, let's just uh, come before Him and and praise Him, Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you this morning and we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, that the punishment that brought us peace. Lord, Lord, there, I have found peace in my life through Christ Jesus. And that peace had a price to it. And that peace was that sword that was risen, that sword of your wrath that was risen and fell not upon me, not upon us, but upon your Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. And Lord, we just open ourselves up to you this morning and say thank you. Thank you, Father. We, we have no clear comprehension of the magnitude of the hell that we've been spared from and the beauty of the heaven that we've been given entrance into. But to whatever degree we can see, Father, we say thank you. We say thank you. And we say, Lord, may our lives be a respectful response to you having suffered for us alone. We praise these, praise you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. and underscore the blessings of controlling their thoughts. So go check out our thought life at ultimateoutcomes.org. Blessings. Blessings.